Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello. Hi. Welcome to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. Well, Emily, when it comes to seasons, some people say they love fall or spring, but me, my favorite season is awards, baby! That's right, gold. Yeah. Fucking SAG, indie yep. spirit, and the yep. best, worst, most argued one of them all, Oscars. Oh, yes. It the is best my award f- money can buy. Actually, Globes is technically the best one you could buy. Oh, shit. That's what I meant to do. Well, because we were focusing on the Oscars, there is a great story that I didn't read, so I, I don't remember all of the details all that well. It was told to me about an actress from either the late 70s or early 80s who blatantly said or told press that she bought and paid for her Golden Globes and that the Hollywood Foreign Press is completely viable and sort of, I mean, people casually forget about it all the time. I don't know who the actress is. I can't give any more details than that broad stroke. And I totally meant to look up more of this, but I got so sucked into the 99 Oscars that I completely forgot. I fucking DreamWorks and Miramax is all I have to say after doing all this research. It's just like a fuck you, no fuck you. And like, uh, anyway, we'll get more into it. It is so interesting, I guess I'll say, that I happened to finish Ronan Farrow's book, Uh. (laughs) Catch and Kill, right as I was starting research for this. And Catch and Kill is one of those books that, I mean, it's so fucking good. Like, definitely read it. Could not recommend it more. It is a complete page turner but also it makes you crazy because you start as you keep going you notice all of these names who have been accused of sexual assault and they're all at nbc it's just like it's everybody and it makes you insane i'm like i feel like i was a hair strand away from having a tinfoil hat and just screaming it goes straight to the top it's the illuminati like i mean i don't that first matt lauer chapter in the book is painful and then he talks about door and tom brockow being somebody that he was he relied on and sort of like used as like a mentor who came out i mean it was just it was very it's a a wild 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 read strap in you will not want to put it down but it's just very interesting yeah because although oscar campaigning doesn't come up in the book obviously harvey weinstein's demeanor 
um, is something to behold, yes. especially when it comes to specifically Oscar campaigning. Obviously, we're not going to just stick to shit. that, but... I don't know. If I had been working at Miramax in the late 90s, like, would it have been cool to be tied to these amazing movies? Sure. Would I Would I trade that for, you know, like, and, and have to work with Harvey Weinstein? And even before we knew about all the Me Too shit, we, like, he was a monster just from a, like, verbally abusive standpoint. Just, like, a nightmare to have to work with. I cut this from my notes, but it was really interesting when doing kind of a, a more of a dig into what precisely his campaign strategy is. I mean, all it, it, what it totally boils down to is straight up bullying. Yes. And there were some quotes from publicists across a couple of articles that I had read who had said that they had never in their lives of representing people had dealt with somebody like Harvey who would call and badger. And because actors and actresses don't get paid to promote no. the movie. It's all sort of like built into your contract how much time in hours that you will put into it this continent i mean especially now it's like it goes down to like instagram ads or instagram and tweets that you will allot to promote the movie for x amount of time anyway harvey even though it's not explicitly said or it wasn't explicitly said then it is now but he would totally take advantage and take it to the limit and would call people and get the and say that they were already booked on like am radio and that he's flying someone to london to do like a press junket and even though it ultimately, I mean, it's hard to say it, there's no way to like quantify if it actually ended up working, but it's hard to deny that it didn't hurt. Yeah, no, I mean, I, as I'm reading all about the like 98 and 2000 Oscars and just the people, the direct quotes from people who had to work under him, uh, like it's just bullying, manipulative, yelling. I mean, it, he, when they say larger than life personality, it, I mean physically, verbally, emotionally, like holy shit! I. Oof. Well, we're gonna talk about him enough throughout. But before we get into which Oscars we're talking about later on in the show, we're gonna be welcoming friend of the pod, uh, writer, and my personal Oscar expert, Trevor Dawson. We'll be talking with Trevor about the current Oscar nominations and although this episode will come out after the oscars won't it be really interesting to see if we're right or not um your bets and trevor is definitely somebody that you want on your trivia team because we're gonna play a little lightning round of gimme oscar facts we're just gonna shout random stuff at him and see what he can remember cold so yeah you know i'm excited to test him i've never met this guy or maybe i have no briefly you might have met him at the wedding but i don't really expect anybody who didn't already know somebody at the wedding to know each other. But, you know, anyway. So, you know, that's happening at the end of this episode. So we decided to narrow it down to exactly what our tagline of the show is about, which is the late 90s and early 2000s. So Emily and I are going to be talking about the Oscars from 1998 through 2001. And are we going to go chronologically, obviously, yeah. unless we really want to like popcorn it? No, God. Yeah, <laughs> we're not going to be doing some Tarantino back and forth on like linear narrative. I'm just I'm no. also not letting anyone take a picture of my feet. No, <laughs> <laughs> we're not here to judge, but no. <laughs> so I will start with the 1998 Oscars, which were the 70th Academy Awards. They were hosted by, of course, Billy Crystal. This was his sixth time hosting, which Billy Crystal has hosted the Oscars nine times. And I'm pretty sure almost every single one 
with the ni- was the nineties. There was definitely two thousand he's he hosted, but for the most part, like the nineties heyday, he started I think with nineteen ninety. Billy Crystal, good for you, man. I mean, I don't even think it's that good of a gig. No, it's not. I mean, you get scrutinized for it every year. I mean, literally now people get announced and a week later they announce someone else. It's like a Star Wars movie director role at this point. That's exactly why they don't even bother having a host because no. they're fucked if they do and they're fucked if they, they don't. don't. Absolutely. And it, I actually think it might work a little bit better. I, I don't know if we necessarily need like the whole song and dance and I think they are making the smart choice by having it I mean, you have a fucking room full of actors. Why exactly. Not? Why not I mean, use them, use their talent? Sorry to make them work on their day off, but, I mean, they like attention, obviously, so they'll be fine. Give it to them. And they don't have to participate. No. But definitely, you know, you get a couple who's in there, and yeah. like, you know they'll be excited. Of course. Just call Rita Ora. Yeah. <laughs> so, with the 1998 Oscars, this was a batshit insane year. Like, where do I even start? Of course, we have to start with the awards juggernaut that was Titanic. This movie won a record 11 Academy Awards, tying with Ben-Hur as the film with the most Oscar wins. And this is after it had been nominated for 14 Academy Awards, which tied it with All About Eve for most nominations of all time. What the fuck? I'm sorry. All About Eve and Titanic yes. are not on the same wavelength yes, and yet, whatsoever. And yet. That and is yet. the most insane thing I, I've heard. 1950 must have been today. a weird year. Um, what the fuck? So it ended up winning Oscars. Titanic won Oscars for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography. Is that why it was two VHS tapes that just had so many Oscars you had to put it across to? Too many Oscars, too heavy for one video tape. (laughs) Best Director, Best Art Direction, Visual Effects, Film Editing, Costume Design, Sound, Sound Effect Editing, Original Dramatic Score, and Best Original Song for Our Queen Celine. Respect. I mean, that's the only earned Oscar. I agree. Kate Winslet and Gloria Stewart were also nominated, each for acting trophies, um, and then the team behind the name, the makeup in the movie was nominated. Fun fact about Titanic, by the way, in their costumes, uh, the Smashing Pumpkins filmed the music video Tonight Tonight around the same time Titanic was filming. Really? Yes. And they were filming, like, across the street from one another. What? Yes. Or really near. Or maybe it was, anyway, they needed the same type of costumes. It was all very turn of the century. And it took so long for them for the Tonight Tonight music video to find those costumes because they, um, the Titanic crew had rented out pretty much every single turn-of-the-century costume at the time <laughs> in Hollywood. That's, that is priceless. Wild is what it is. Wow. Yep, yep. What, I mean, what do those two things even have in common? I don't know. Do you think Billy, Billy Zane, Billy Corgan? I was going to ask, like, two bald guys. Yeah. Do you also think – okay, here's a fun question just really quick. Do you think Billy Corgan has seen Titanic? I think he has accidentally seen it one day. Like he didn't like go on to, a plane. He didn't go to a movie theater to see it. Um, it was either he caught it on a plane or he was, you know, at an at his parents' house or something, and they were watching it. Follow up: Do you think Billy Zane has listened to Smashing Pumpkins? Oh, for sure. Really? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Billy Zane. Oh, oh he yeah. is kind of like he does play a douche, and so maybe it's like his yeah. pump up music. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I like I I like Smashing Pumpkins, but yeah, I could see Billy Zane has totally. He lived through the early '90s. He's he's listened to the Smashing Pumpkins. Okay. When James Cameron won the Best Director Oscar, the douchiest thing ever happened. This is when he went up on stage. This is when he quoted himself. He quoted Jack, a.k.a. Leonardo DiCaprio's most famous line in the movie that 
quote, I'm the king of the world. Ew. Yep. And apparently, James Cameron's tailor hadn't taken in his tux's waistband, so <laughs> he kept having to pull it up a la Steve Urkel style the entire <laughs> ceremony. And because that movie won every goddamn award, he kept going up on stage no! and would have to give it like a nice tuck up Ew. before getting up on stage. Ugh. Thank you, Vanity Fair, for that tidbit of knowledge. In hindsight, Cameron has admitted that that probably wasn't the best move to be so like egotistical in his acceptance speech. But to be fair, critics had thought the movie was going to be a $200 million flop. So I get it, but yeah, you still suck, dude. Other movies worth talking about during this time, obviously besides Titanic, there were a shit ton of movies that were um, crazy Oscar bait. So it's the 90s, so of course Miramax showed up, and their movie that year starred our Boston princes, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. They were basically introduced to the world. I mean, they had had other parts in the past, but this was really their coming up moment, thanks to their Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for Goodwill Hunting. Um, while we laugh now watching a pair of 20-something white bros freaking out on stage over winning, and of course they brought their moms as their dates. This was a big deal at the time because this was one of the first times the Academy had like awarded a Best Screenplay Oscar to a relatively quote-unquote indie set of writers. Ben Affleck actually remains the youngest recipient of the Best Screenplay Oscar. He was 25 and Matt Damon was 27. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards, ended up winning two, Best Screenplay, and then Best Supporting Actor for Robin Williams, R.I.P. In contrast to Titanic, Goodwill Hunting's budget was $10 million and it ended up grossing over $200 million. The other thing worth noting with Goodwill Hunting was it was nominated for Best Original Song Against the Sl- uh, My Heart Will Go On with Miss Misery by Elliot Smith. Again, R.I.P. Oh, dark. Was, yeah, really dark. In fact, he was really reluctant to go perform the song at the Oscars because he hated that they cut it. You know, it's always abridged versions of the songs. Sure. And ultimately, he decided to perform because he was told, like, regardless of whether or not he performs it, it will be performed by someone on stage. But he talked a lot about like interviews about how surreal the whole experience was for him just because, you know, he's just like the singer-songwriter from Portland. In terms of other movies worth talking about here, As Good As It Gets was another big one that year. Oh, right. That is my dad's favorite movie. <laughs> that one? Yeah, I don't of know. Of all time? I know. He, of all of the movies? I don't know if it still is, but like for it's, a solid 10 years, my dad would always say that was his favorite movie. He loves Jack Nicholson. So. I mean, it doesn't... Yeah, I mean, when things like Pay It Forward can win, it doesn't really tell you a whole lot. Yeah. But I mean, this regardless. Was like a James L. Brooks movie. So, like, that's, you know, I feel like I just don't know he if comes it holds, out with a movie, it doesn't hold up. I don't up. think it holds up. No. And, I mean, like, I love Helen Hunt. But sure. But it ended up being nominated for seven one two for uh, Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt. And it's actually the most recent film to have won the Best Actor-Actress trophies the same year. So, uh, the previous one had been for Silence of the Lambs. Helen Hunt doesn't suffer the best actress divorce curse that year, but the next year she'll marry Hank Azaria, and then the following year they'll get divorced. <laughs> so or, a little belated curse for you. A little belated curse. And that's a common theme. I'm sure you guys have heard Ooh. of this, the best actress curse. Whenever a woman where, or an actress wins the best actress Oscar, if she is married, oftentimes her marriage will end in divorce within the year. Reese Witherspoon, Halle Berry. Um, Hilary Swank. Well, who else? I mean, Julia Roberts. Winslet. Who I will talk about later. Um, Yeah, just a lot of people. All of them. Yep. Um, L.A. Confidential was also kind of the big movie that year. Uh, Was nominated for nine Academy Awards and won two. Best Adapted Screenplay for Curtis Hansen. Again, R.I.P. 
and Brian Hel Helgland. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. And then Best Supporting Actress for Kim Basinger. And I'm now realizing that she appears in another Curtis Hansen movie, Eight Mile, playing Eminem's mom and then hooking up with a young or younger looking because his face is just like unable to look that young, Michael Shannon. I was like, Cousin Greg? No, no, Michael <laughs> Shannon. Although I could see Michael Shannon and Cousin Greg like acting in something together. Maybe yeah, like just a buddy cop movie. Some sort of movie where they're both tall. A gritty buddy cop movie. The notable in memoriam people, uh, the people. I can't believe you're going through with this. <laughs> Jacques Cousteau. Wow, is that why? Red Skelton, Chris Farley, J.T. Walsh, Robert oh, no. Mitchum, and that was Jimmy it? Stewart. Oh. Yeah, but that's. I'll, I'll go into more fun stuff now. Um, in terms of other things to know about the 98 Oscars, uh, in terms of red carpet fashion, nothing really stuck out to me as much as like the 2000s, which were a wild time. Kate Winslet wore this dress that kind of had like an Ella Enchanted vibe to it. Also, <laughs> I realize I don't have it pulled up. Halle Berry served like this twisty clip realness that was like pre-teenage girls across America, like twisting their hair with butterfly clips. And, oh, I see what you mean. Mm -hmm. And then Frances McDormand showed up with red lens sunglasses because it's the late 90s and everybody was wearing weird colored sunglasses. Also, Franny don't give a fuck. She don't give a fuck. She's got her Oscar for Fargo. And she's now a cool. second Oscar, yeah. even. She's, she's fine. She shows up in Birkenstocks all the time. Good I her. I, mean, I love her and, and her Cohen brother husband. Yeah, whichever one it is. I, I mean, we know. stand, obviously. We stand, of course. Um, the final bit of the 1998 Oscars that's worth noting is my personal in memoriam to these couples. In the arms of the angels. Melanie Griffith and Antonio Banderas. Fly away from here. Helen Hunt and Hank Azaria. In the arms of the angels. Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. Won't you find... Jeff Goldblum. Laura Dern. Some comfort here. Cameron Diaz and Matt Dillon. In Paul the Thomas eye. Anderson and Fiona Apple. Oh, alright, fucking P. Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. Matthew Lillard and Nev Campbell, which I did not realize those two got together after Scream, but Ooh, I guess that that's was, real weird. That was a time. Um, but that's my my summary of the nineteen ninety eight Oscars. May they rest in peace. R. I. P. That is I'm sorry, I really can't even picture Nev Campbell and Matthew Lillard standing next to each other. Oh, believe me, I couldn't have either, and yet there were photographs to show me otherwise. Oh my god. Well, I had the surprise and delight of <laughs> researching the 71st Academy Awards, which took place March 21st, 1999, at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. So I'm kind of obsessed where the venue where they hold these. Oh, yeah. Because, obviously, now it's the Kodak Theater, which is a nice theater. It's on Hollywood and Pine. But they would just, like, set up fucking shop any old place <laughs> because they don't even stay at the Dorothy Chandler no. Pavilion, which honestly looks kind of like the ballroom for the Golden Globes. It's not very big. Or no. at least it didn't look like it on camera when Roberto Benigni was running down the fucking aisle, oh high-fiving people. <laughs> he got, like, a hug from Robin Williams. Like, what is going on? Wild times. The 1999 Oscars are generally regarded by some pop culture critics as the best year in terms of having the Stefan voice everything. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> marks the year where quite a few things changed, first being the first Oscars to be broadcast on a Sunday. 
The show used to be on Mondays, and in honor of the monumental shift, ABC aired a little pre-show special called Sunday at the Oscars with your host, Gina Davis, who was wearing a gown that was not totally dissimilar from Gwyneth Paltrow's dress. Huh. It, they were both satin pink princess gowns. Yeah. They were different cuts. Like, she had, like, a train, and I also believe that she had gloves, and it was, like, a higher cut versus um, Gwyneth Paltrow's kind of, like, ball gowned kind of look. Ralph but, Ryan, right? Yes. Yeah. But even still, it was... I, obviously, there's always going to be a trend on the red carpet, and I guess princess ball gowns and satin silk. It's such a late '90s. It's either princess or fairy, like with the body glitter right. and like twisty butterfly clip styles. Like everyone kind of Drew Barrymore was very much on the fairy spectrum. So, as most things that are the first of anything go, uh, the first Sunday at the Oscars with Gina Davis was apparently insane, and there's an entire article that gives you a literal play-by-play. Like, they they show you each frame and explain what's going on because it was so, Yikes. it was such a weird hodgepodge of a year. So, if we can't get inside before we walk down the red carpet, and... These are some shocking, to me personally, red carpet couplings. I am so sorry, but Ed Norton and Drew Barrymore? I know she has terrible taste in men, Edward Norton included, but I was shooketh. Okay, I didn't I didn't see... So I'm going to show you some red carpetry, actually, more specifically in regards to these next two people I'm about to talk about. But I didn't... I wasn't looking at this Best Dress article first. I was watching, I believe it was Roberto Benigni's acceptance speech, which I will get into in just a few short minutes because it's truly like the next bullet point. But they cut to a shot of Edward Norton and Drew Barrymore, but she was kind of hiding behind him. And then she a peeks shame. out. And then, I don't know. And then she hides again. I was like, wait... Did they date? When did I miss that? Why did they date? How? How did they meet? Like, I I get, like, for instance, Edward Norton and Courtney Love were together because they met on the set of The People versus Larry Flint. Mm -hmm. Sure. But I don't understand where uh, where Drew and Ed, Eddie Nort, met. (laughs) Eddie Norskis? Eddie Norskis. Okay, so these, I'm going to show you a picture (laughs) I hope you're emotionally prepared. Wild times. Okay, well, that's Edward Norton with Drew Barrymore. So he's just in a tux that doesn't fit him like every fucking man at these goddamn award shows. Really? And Drew Barrymore in, like, a black velvet dress with, like, a gold sash, which, like, why did anybody ever let that be a trend? Who knows? so unlike her, too. Like She looks very demure. And, like, he must be kind of short because they kind of look the same height. But, okay. I'm about to scroll, so I hope you're ready. How do you like these apples? Oh, Ellen and Anne Hayes, everyone. And they both have these tiny round sunglasses that are now coming back around of in style. They are. But Ellen's wearing this like white suit, but like the blazer looks like a doctor's coat. Mm. And Anne Hayes also doing the fucking shawl thing. Yeah. It's probably 75 degrees in LA that day. With a very ill fitting kind of like cheap sack dress. Sack dress of the Laura Ashley variety. Like, okay, so the next coupling is also very upsetting. It's it's one of our faves. Queen Laura Dern and fucking Billy Bob Thornton. Truly. She dated a, like, I thought Adam Duritz of The Counting Grows had the weirdest, like, dating rap sheet. But Laura Dern, She really, racks up them weirdos. So strange. And I, I, I will get into, mm, yeah. Wow. Wow. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in A Simple Plan, a movie I've never heard of and have never watched. Not about the Canadian punk band Simple Plan? No, I do not believe that is. I don't even think A Simple Plan was like a thing in 99, Emily. 
Okay. And then I I think personally she's best dressed, but apparently this is like a bonkers outfit. Our queen, Canadian queen, Celine Dion. Oh, my God. Wearing her backward tux yes. but from John Galliano for Christian Dior with her giant floppy hat. Eat your heart out for Raul Williams. And I believe those are Ray-Bans. <laughs> oh, they for sure are. And, like, Ray-Bans pre, they became very expensive to no, buy. And like, if you, gas station 20 And if I were to yeah. engage in this photo, or I'm not engage, if I were to enhance this photo, you would see that they're studded along the arm of and the temple. Are. Of course they are. I mean. She doesn't disappoint. If she's going She brought out, it. She's going to fucking go all out. I will say... The amount of discourse over this outfit is on par with another outfit that I will talk about in 2001. Okay. Moving swiftly along. This is is the year. She had nothing to worry about. She was a goddamn Oscar winner. She was probably presenting the best category of them all, best original song, which is always a fucking stacked category. Okay. So Whoopi hosted this year, and she did an opening bit where she delivered her speech dressed as Queen Elizabeth because that movie was nominated, and Kate Blanchett was favored to win Best Actress, which she tragically did not win. But before we get to Best Actress, we need to talk about Best Actor, Roberto Benigni. Please excuse my terrible accent. His exuberant acceptance speech, I always mix it up with Adrian Brody's non-consensual kiss with Halle Berry for some reason, probably because it has that same kind of like chaotic energy. Because if you watch it back... I understand English is a second language for him, and, you know, my parents' English is their second or possibly third language as well. I understand a thick accent, trust me. But he goes on a bizarre tirade because he he can't find the words to properly express how excited, how stoked. I mean, he literally does – he basically crowd surfs to the stage. Do you think they purposely picked Sophia Loren to – present that award she didn't present the award she was actually sitting in the audience oh sorry okay yes i I forget who presented it but it wasn't they cut to they cut to sophia loren in the middle of his rambling speech as if to be like okay can you translate yeah fellow italian hey she's italian you're like cool yeah we know Anyway, so he basically crowd surfs up to the up to the stage, and he's obviously very excited. He's, like, jumping around. We, you've all seen it, or maybe you haven't. I don't know how old you are. If not, you can – okay. I watched this acceptance speech, obviously, on YouTube, and I love me some comments. So I started to scroll down to, like, okay, what's the temperature of the people? What do the people think? And there are a ton of comments that are specifically from three years ago exactly the first hundred or so comments are all like he has a zest for life or like that's the italian way but all of them emily are from exactly three years ago every single comment so i don't know if it was like only uploaded three years ago or if three years ago everybody was searching for roberto benini's acceptance speech but it is truly bizarre i i don't i don't really know how to explain it And I'm only going to make everything more weird because I'm going to go ahead and explain what he ends up saying in his speech. So he can't find the words to express how happy he is to be winning an Oscar. So instead he says, I wish, and I'm obviously, you know, I am um, editorializing a bit. He says something to the effect of, I wish I was Jupiter so I could take us all to a field and we could all make love. What? And, like, everybody starts, like, laughing nervously, and, like, they cut to Jim Carrey, and, like, he laughs. And this is, there were, like, I shit you not, like, ten comments that are, like, he made Jim Carrey laugh. He's good enough for me. I'm, like, what? Oh, my God. Jim Carrey was obviously, like, laughing out of distress. Yes. And it was not a genuine laugh. No. 
So plus, I think that's when he was still being method to play Andy Kaufman in Man in the Moon. If you guys have ever seen that deranged documentary, so the whole his whole speech had like a whiff of like Midsommar of like the future. It was a little bit weird. Anyway, he gets an awkward chuckle with Jim Carrey, as I mentioned. A, a, a truly bizarre, <laughs> a, one of a many strange speeches. Now we get into best original song. So again, a stacked category. But when you believe from the Prince of, Prince of Egypt, oh, which fuck. yes, underrated soundtrack. Get it, Hans I mean, Zimmer. You get fucking Mariah, mm-hmm. fucking Whitney yep. to do a duet. Yep. In which there is a key change that one can only use the word epic. So. Just no other word to describe it. Oh, are the Oscars now divas live? Because I am fucking living Ren- my best life renewing watching my VH1 cable subscription. Mariah, best believe Mariah looks incredible in a white silk gown from Lorenz Scott. R.I.P. And Whitney walked the red carpet with R.I.P. with Bobby Christina. R.I.P. Who was like a little baby at the time. It was just a little sad to see that picture. Anyway, the other nominees in this category are I Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith, but it's written by Diane Warren. And then I went on a whole Diane Warren side tangent. So I thought that she was nominated for way more Oscars than she has been. I mean, 11 is still pretty good, but she's never won. She's never won. She did. And she only has one Grammy. That should be a crime. She is an incredible writer. I don't, like, no matter what the artist is, you will hear that song, and if you really listen to the song, even if you hate that artist, you can be like, that's actually a really great song. Like, I don't really care for Aerosmith. I think that they are that one American band that we all, like, people get behind, but I'm like, I can't really think of the contribution that they've made to rock and roll. But I don't want to miss a thing. When you really think about it, it's a great epic song, and who can't think of fucking Liv Tyler crying, putting her hand on the screen, while Steven Tyler is singing. Iconic. Iconic. As iconic as, you know, to bring it back to 98 Oscars, be hand slap oh, yeah. down the side of the car- the steamed up carriage window. Oh, yeah. It's on that level. Woo! We've also got That'll Do from Babe, Pig in the City, which is a Randy Newman song. What? And then some song from a movie that I've never seen, but the song was written by David Foster, and I just thought it'd be fun What's to write that. Song? I don't know. I didn't oh, care enough you know to write it, it down. It's the prayer. It's from, yeah, from for like quest, Camel. Quest for Camelot. Thank you. I had to sing that in voice lessons with my sister. It's an Andrea Bocelli Celine Dion duet. Oh. Yes. Well, it was written by David Foster. So, Best Actress, it was favored for Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth. It was her first nomination, but it went to Gwyneth Paltrow instead. Some would say, undeservingly, that person would be me. It was kind of a shitty movie. Anyway, old Gwenny got up there and tearfully thanked her friend, in quotes, Ben Affleck. She also dedicated this award to two dead people, one of them being her cousin. Her and Affleck were in an on-and-off relationship around this time, so I'm going to go, go, gonna go ahead and assume friend is a euphemism. And then today, like, just, you know, I didn't even do anything. I got the newsletter from Pop Bitch, and I got a little bit of tea to back up my assumption here. So I'm just going to cut to the chase because I don't want to run too much longer because this Harvey Weinstein shit I'm about to get into is going to suck. So back in 2000, it was rumored that Gwyneth Paltrow used to carry around different mobile phones for every man that she was dating. She kept a separate handset for other friends and family so she knew in advance if slash which one of her boyfriends was calling. So at one point in 2000, she had dedicated phones for Ben Affleck. Guy Siri, who she also tearfully thanked in this acceptance speech, who is her agent and also Madonna's agent slash manager. 
And despite his engagement to Jennifer Aniston, Brad fucking Pitt. Oh, yeah. Because they were seven. They were together. Well, they were together. I mean, there was yeah. a point where they all actually kind of even looked like each other. But Very that's, much. Ooh, that, that we're going to get into in our next episode, Iconic Couplings. Oh, yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow's acceptance speech kind of is the foundation and the groundwork for any good ingenue's acceptance speech. I mean, it was like, it was tears. It was going into her family. She thanked her grandfather a buster. I mean, it was, it's essentially like the prequel to Anne Hathaway's like, it it came true. Like, it, there's, it really, it's kind of eerie. Of course. Down to the dress. Yep. Okay, so, Shakespeare in Love wins Best Picture. Which brings me to my final inevitable point, the Harvey Weinstein of it all, a.k.a. Best Picture. Like all conversations that he enters, Harvey Weinstein dominated the 99 Oscars. This is the year that where it's considered that everything changed when it came to Oscar campaigning, and it's all because of him. I think if you watch his acceptance speech, it kind of says it all. He puts his statue on the stage floor and literally shoves fellow producer Ed Zwick out of the way and grabs the mic like he literally wraps his entire little fist around the mic and holds it which like i'll hold the mic you know like please just chill out it's in a stand but it's it's the domination it's a complete fucking power play he obviously wanted to you know convey a message to hollywood and that message was fuck you steven spielberg in your 70 million dollar world war ii drama saving private ryan which was that's gonna come up next year which was a front runner and the buzz had been building since fucking july yeah and it was a very steady oscar buzz like almost was like a basically like a foregone conclusion but harvey weinstein's style of political campaigns brought his little talky Shakespearean romance to win the grand prize. Obviously, in light of recent events, we know now that Harvey Weinstein is not only a bastard, but he's also a rapist. So it's kind of hard not to mention that he's been accused of sexual assault, to put it mildly. I mean, he's been accused by at least 79 women. But if you want to look at Shakespeare in Love, even on its merits, it's almost impossible because Paltrow even said that when she was 22, she reported for a meeting with the producer at the Peninsula Beverly Hills Hotel to discuss her first starring role in 1996's Emma. During the meeting, Paltrow alleged that Weinstein put his hands on her and suggested that they head to his bedroom for a massage, which she declined. Four years later, the actress would be holding the Best Actress Oscar that she won that night, thinking, quote, Harvey Weinstein and everybody at Miramax Films for their undying support of me. Shakespeare in Love tells the tale of the Bard of Avon, who, while struggling to write what would become Romeo and Juliet, falls in love with Viola de Lesseps, Natch, Luann, the daughter of a wealthy merchant. This is Paltrow's fifth film out of nine that she'll make with Harvey Weinstein. Rounding out the cast, Joseph Fiennes as Shakespeare, Judi Dench as Queen Elizabeth. So Harvey Weinstein hired the, the PR team that got him the win for English Patient and also nominations for Pulp Fiction and The Crying Game. He used Terry Press. In addition to Terry Press, he also took advantage of making screeners of Shakespeare and Love on VHS tapes that allowed, obviously, Academy members to watch them at home and kind of starting the take-home screener trend a little bit, or at least that's what the, a couple of like articles had mentioned. The consideration? Well, at least just being able to not... Because they have four-year consideration screenings, yeah. but this was like the beginning. That this was the first time that somebody had like taken advantage of the fact that we have a way to watch a movie right. at home. So he put it on a VHS tape, and used that to lure voters. 
Saving Private Ryan ends up winning at least five awards, including Best Director for Spielberg, which is truly the one that matters the most. But Miramax's Shakespeare campaign became a model going forward, and unknowingly, Weinstein created an entire cottage industry around campaigning. It was also said that it was the first time that they heard negative campaigning and trash talking, but that doesn't really sound exactly right to me. Nearly 20 years later, Bob Weinstein would advocate for Harvey's firing, and he thanked him in his speech, his best friend and partner and everything. And he also called his kids rotten in his speech and then also called his niece and nephew ostensibly Bob's kids angels or, you know, or something, I forget. He complimented his brother's kids and insulted his own children. And it was his first wife, not Georgina Chapman. Anyway, he gets fired from the company that he built with Bob. And then later on, members of the Academy will take a stance against Weinstein and force to expel him from the group. And as of this recording, obviously, the Academy approved getting rid of Weinstein and issued a statement that said in the effect to the effect of the era of willful ignorance and shameful complicity in sexually predatory behavior and workplace harassment in our industry is over. That seems, you know, a little overblown and it's definitely not over, but at least they kicked him out and it was, it's definitely an insult and a blow to his massive ego. He's like this tough, hard dude from fucking New York, but he really wants to be like a Hollywood person that he probably loathes, at least on the surface or maybe even deep down inside. So he finally gets membership into the club that he's always wanted to be in, but they finally kicked him out. And so that's one small victory. Also, you know, he's definitely going to go to jail. This tr- He's got like three trials going on. Yeah. One of them has to stick. Good riddance. So sorry to end on like a downer note, but 99 was kind of an insane year. And especially in retrospect, I mean, truly the acceptance speech for Best Picture is out of this world. He, You watch him physically shove a man who is much smaller than him. His, like, his size, like, just alone is wild. I mean, not to, that's not a body shame. Like, he just obviously has, like, a domineering presence right. physically and emotionally. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, and this continues into the 2000 Academy Awards, uh, where DreamWorks was not thrilled that, that Shakespeare in Love beat Saving Private Ryan for Best Picture. And so Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, never fucking again. And then we get American Beauty, which, by the way, I love that we found out recently that the hand holding the rose on the movie poster is actually Christina Hendricks' hand. Isn't that crazy? She was doing hand modeling work back then. Amazing. So American Beauty was the big front runner for the 2000 Academy Awards. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards, ended up winning five for Best Picture, Best Director for Sam Mendes who was in his directorial debut. Obviously, this year he's nominated for 1917, and it's uh, what started out as a film that I think had some Oscar buzz after the Golden Globes and, like, all the other uh, award shows in the last couple weeks. I feel like that's becoming more and more the front runner. So, anyway, we'll see. Best Actor for Kevin Spacey, boo, speaking of me too. Gross. And Best Original Screenplay for Alan Ball and Best Cinematography. This was, like I said, part two of the DreamWorks versus Miramax competition. The previous year, Saving Private Ryan uh, did not win. Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, this will never happen again. So they put out American Beauty, and Miramax put out Cider House Rules and The Talented Mr. Ripley. 
And obviously, looking back on American Beauty, which back then was so, like, critically acclaimed, everybody was raving about it. It was, uh, but, like, looking back, you look at the critics who were really the top ravers, it's almost, almost always middle-aged men. Because this is a midlife crisis with, an, with a, like, cinematic edge to it, basically. Also, after hearing everything we know about Kevin Spacey now and his um, inappropriate behavior with underage boys, it is very creepy to, for him to, in fact, be playing a middle-aged man who is falling in love with an, uh, his daughter's underage best friend. Gross. All gross. All very gross. Meanwhile, with Miramax, uh, there was Cider House Rules and Talented Mr. Ripley. Which just turned 20. Which just turned 20. Wild stuff. So in this promotion cycle, Harvey Weinstein actually got really sick around that time. And so leading up to the Oscars um, and most of the the awards season, he was actually bedridden. Um, Oh, was it for being too rapey? It should have been. Apparently, he it was like exhaustion or something like that. But anyway. From the rape? I mean, yeah, sorry. I just, you know, you got to just shout it out there. No, yeah. So, quote from this woman by the name of Cynthia Swartz, who was Miramax's in-house awards strategist at the time, which is totally a title that was made up in the last two years because of Miramax, probably. Two years in this period, Yeah, two years in this period, sorry, for the context. Quote, he was totally MIA and no one knew what the hell was happening. I have to say, I only have happy memories of the Cider House Rules campaign, mostly because we didn't have Harvey around making us miserable. The movie received seven nominations and won two Oscars, one for Best Adapted Screenplay, written by John Irving, and Best Supporting Actor for Mark Cocaine. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you. Um, I tried. And then for Mr. Ripley, which was actually directed by Anthony Minghella, director of The English Patient. R.I.P. Um, five nominations, yeah, R.I.P., but no win. They had really thought that talented Mr. Ripley would have gotten uh, more Oscars. It did, and of course, while it did get five nominations, it didn't win any awards. The other big films included The Insider that year, starring your king, Mr. Al Pacino. Oh, it was like Timmy Champagne? <laughs> and Russell Crowe. I guess he's my prince. He's your prince. <laughs> That movie was nominated for seven Oscars as well, like American Beauty, but didn't win any. And then from a technical perspective, this is the year The Matrix came out, so they were nominated and won all four of their Oscar categories. Best film editing, sound, sound effects editing, and visual effects. No complaints here. As we discussed in our previous episode on Y2K, this movie was revolutionary at the time of its release and incorporated several camera-related and technological features that had never been attempted on the screen. There is nothing more late 90s about the fact that the bullet time technique was pioneered in this film and in the Gap khaki swing commercial set to jump, jive, and wail. Shout out to the short-lived swing dance revival of the late 90s. Other notable movies from this Oscar year include Boys Don't Cry, where Hilary Swank won the Best Actress Award and forgot to thank her then-husband, Chad Lowe, brother of Rob Lowe. Oh, right. I forgot she was married to that guy. And then a couple months later, she succumbed to uh, to the Best Actress Oscar curse, and they got a divorce. He Um, used to come into the Starbucks in Brentwood I briefly worked at all the time. Wasn't he also the dad in Pretty Little Liars? I think he was. One of the dads. Oh, I don't remember. Maybe. I don't remember the um, parents. She later <clears throat> said in an interview for 60 Min- on 60 Minutes that during the time she was filming Boys Don't Cry, her paycheck failed to meet the $5,000 annual income minimum for insurance. So she didn't have health insurance when she won her Oscar, which is insane. What? Yeah. 
Because she she wasn't making enough money to qualify to get health insurance. Because this is like pre Obamacare everything. I know that's still crazy though. It's nuts. Was she not in the union? Doesn't SAG give you? Yeah, but sometimes they join later. Like uh, sometimes SAG after offers. I don't know. Maybe she was. I don't know. Anyway, girl interrupted was one healthcare of the, is broken. Healthcare okay. is broken. Let's fix it. Vote Democrat. Girl Interrupted also came out this year, which was supposed to be Winona Ryder's awards vehicle, and it ended up being Angelina Jolie's awards vehicle when she won the Best Supporting Actress Award, and where she shared a very interesting kiss with her brother, James Hayden. Oh, no. This was the year. This was the year, and this is pre-Billy Bob Thornton, so, yeah. I cannot believe she was only 24, but she was 24 (laughs) when this all went down. Um, and of course, so like a slightly like slightly old enough to know better. Slightly old enough to know better, but slightly too young to later marry Billy Bob Thornton. And then the <sighs> final movie that was really big that year was The Sixth Sense. Uh, Haley Joel Osment sees dead people. That's pretty much it. Bruce Willis was dead. Spoiler alert, Emily. I know. Twenty years too late. 2000 Oscars would foreshadow the 2000 election when a few weeks before the ceremony, AMPAs reported they were missing 4,000 ballots that had been mailed to the voters. They later found 1,000 of them at a post office, but would go on to mail replacement ballots to those voters. So already they were missing these ballots. Then, shit hits a fan, they lose 55 Oscar statuettes that were stolen <laughs> from a truck. The crime was committed, what? yes, by two What is this, men. Goodfellas? Fell off a truck. Fell off a truck, quote, unquote. Was committed by two men that worked for the transportation company. According to this New York Times article, it was a retrospect on how wild this year's ceremony was. It was, quote, a frantic 10-day search involving the Los Angeles Police Department and the FBI. A junkyard salvage worker named Willie Fulgier found <laughs> 52 of the stolen Oscars how is this in not a, a movie yet? behind a food forest in Los Angeles. Seriously, how is this not a movie? Another statue turned up in a Florida drug bust three years later while the final two remain missing. Oh my god, of course it ends up in fucking Florida. So they end up in... So this guy gets, you know, called a hero despite he was actually related to one of the guys involved in the heist. They reward him, the trucking company rewards him $50,000, and the Academy sends him to the Oscars. So he wore, like, a tux and everything and got an honorable mention from Billy Crystal because, of course, Billy Crystal hosted that year. His quote was, going back to the DreamWorks Miramax uh, rivalry, Billy Crystal said, quote, finding the trophies was, quote, not a lot of money when you realize that Miramax and DreamWorks are spending millions of dollars just to get one. Wow. Though Phil Collins's You'll Be In My Heart won for Best Original Song for the Oh, movie I hate Tarzan. that song so much. <laughs> Fucking so hate that song. Zoe's going to have a bone to pick after this. Oh, now she's... Well, if she hears me say this, she's going to nonstop sing it to me or send me the song... <laughs> She's been trolling me with fucking birds ever since she found out I don't like birds. The best performance of that night, in my opinion, was Robin Williams performing Blame Canada from South Park. Oh, I remember this. Yes. So at the time, the woman who voiced Kyle's mom, and I forget this actress's name, had recently passed away. And so they decided instead of having Trey Parker and this, um, and obviously this woman was no longer with us, uh, they had Robin Williams do the performance. And it was great. Amazing. I loved it. Notable people who died. Really? Jim Varney, a.k.a. Ernest. Which Vern? Guys, 
when we did when I was looking up Jim Varney's career, I did not realize I thought there were maybe three or four Ernest movies. Oh, there were Oh my dear a solid sweet Emily. Seven or eight. No, I mean it's like Larry the Cable Guy. It's like you didn't even know. But Ernest and Jim Varney were endearing Larry the no, Cable. No, I know. Guy it's it's more off. like it or maybe a more apt description is Tyler Perry movies. Yeah, like you've yeah. no there's Fair so enough. many. Yeah, oh no, for sure. You had no idea. Mario Puzo died that year, the writer of The Godfather. Hedy Lamar, Madeline Kahn, and George C. Scott, a.k.a. Patton. Red carpet fashion moments. Angelina Jolie, of course, wearing a very Morticia Adams goth queen look with oh, her yeah. goth-esque brother where, ha- rocking a platinum blonde. He actually looked more like a vampire. He looked yeah. like Spike from Buffy. He did, yeah, because he's rocking platinum hair. Um, and he's Par- just so pale. So pale. Trey Parker and Matt Stone, nominated for South Park the Movie, showed off wearing knockoffs of J-Lo's infamous Versace Grammy dress and Gwyneth Paltrow's 1999 Oscar pink Ralph Lauren dress. NSYNC was there to sing okay. Music of the Heart, because Music of the Heart was nominated, so they sang oh, wow. with Gloria with Stefan. Yes. And then I was- also think that Diane Warren wrote that. She did. She did. <laughs> yep. Diane Warren is everywhere. And then... R.I.P. to these Oscar couples, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. In the but hey, we can all dream after that SAG Awards action. No, let's not perpetuate this fucking propaganda. Let's just drop it, okay? It's nothing. Hillary Swank and Chad Lowe, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman right before the Eyes Wide Shut split. Fuck you, Scientology. Heather Graham and Ed Burns, Salma Hayek and Edward Norton to bring it back. And Drew Barrymore and Tom motherfucking Green. What a weird couple. What a time. Finally, this New York Times article on the 2000s Oscars brought up the wildest story. I thought the stolen statuettes, the missing ballots. No, no, no. This is really the weirdest. There was an all-star tribute to the best song winners of the past that was going to feature Whitney Houston, Garth Brooks, Ray Charles, Queen Latifah, Dionne Warwick, and Isaac Hayes, because he sang the theme for Shaft. Houston was not up to par during the rehearsals, and later she claimed it was because of a sore throat. She was later replaced by Faith Hill. Allegedly, Garth Brooks started throwing a hissy fit and cried because he was no longer the one country singer on stage. And that is the 2000 Oscars in a nutshell. The end. What was Garth Brooks' other personality i believe you're thinking of chris gaines (laughs) i also don't think that's the first time i've asked that question well we talked specifically on this podcast of our dear prince aj mclean of backstreet right of johnny no name johnny no name his alter rock star ego oh i wish there was a johnny no name chris gaines tour (laughs) i wouldn't go to it i just would love to see that poster it would just so much hat work It'd be tons of hat work and, like, bandanas. Tribal, a lot of tribal tattoo art. I'm, yeah, it would be gross. Okay. <laughs> well, the 73rd Academy Awards took place on March 25th, 2001 at the Shrine Auditorium, you guys. Location change. It's a kind of tame award show this year. The only couple that stuck out to me is, like, a, uh, was Jayla with that backup dancer she married, Chris oh. Judd, I believe. Yes. Yeah, he was always really tan and bald. Because that was, was that after dating Diddy? It was like, yeah, I think it was post Diddy. Yep. I mean, JLo, I mean, JLo showed up to at least, well, I think she showed up to all four of these. Yes. Yeah. And had different fashion at all of them. What's, what's a girl got to do to get nominated for Hustlers? I mean, truly what's happening here? Justice. All right. 
So speaking of fucking Billy Crystal, they asked him to host again, but he declined, so they got Steve Martin to host. Oh. The show opened with the theme saluting Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Astronauts inside the International Space Station Alpha Destiny during Expedition 2 appeared via satellite and introduced Steve Martin. So they were doing like a spacey 2001 theme. Oh, because Kubrick had just died. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, well, he didn't make the... He didn't make the in memoriam. Oh, he didn't. No, huh. I told you it was Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and Gwen Verdon. That's that, those so were the mar- weird. those were the standouts. But Kubrick totally died around then because I. Well, then he probably that. made the next year's. Yeah. Not this year's. He he very may well have died this year. I don't doubt that, but I mean, look, I'm showing you. Oh, Walter Matthau died that year, or you know, because you know it's 2001, but really we're talking about 2000 still. Yeah. The end of 2000. Yeah, I guess maybe I don't know. I wonder if I Oh, I was like, oh, no, it's Stanley Kramer, not Kubrick. Well, we're not going backwards. We're only going forwards. (laughs) So there's nothing exceptional about this year, but later in 2001, they'd finally add a new category, animated feature. Oh, yeah. So that starts in 2002. The reign of Pixar and DreamWorks, actually. So that was the new DreamWorks rivalry. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Oh, these two notes are meant for later on, but I might as well just say them now since I'm here. So Gladiator won Best Picture this year, and Ed Zwick, the one of um, I Got Shoved by Harvey Weinstein on stage in 1999, um, he had produced Traffic, and he was also nominated. Also, did we know that one of Aaron Brockovich's producers is motherfucking Frank, a.k.a. Danny DeVito? Because I did not know that. Oh, yeah, because Jersey Films made it, right? They produced it? I don't know. I just looked at the names on the list. Yeah. But Danny DeVito, and I was like, that Danny DeVito? And Wikipedia said, yes, that Danny DeVito. That Danny DeVito. That is a brilliant, if, if videos ever come back and Danny DeVito, you would like to go into the video rental market, Danny DeVito <laughs> is a perfect name. It's me, Danny DeVito. All right. Another fun fact about Aaron Brockovich is that real housewife slash gay pop icon Erica Jean's lawyer husband, Tom Girardi, was a lawyer at the real life firm in Aaron Brockovich. Really? Mm-hmm. So we're going to go straight into the most lit category of them all. Best original song, baby. Pew, pew, pew. This is the year that Bjork wore a swan dress and everyone lost their fucking minds. By the way, it was designed by Marjan Pioshki. I probably maybe butchered that. Who knows? I don't know. Let me know. She was nominated for the Lars von Trier Depression Fest Dancer in the Dark. Bjork performed her nominated song, I've Seen It All, which ended up losing to Bob Dylan's Things Have Changed from Wonder Boys. And now a note on Bjork's infamous dress. Bjork created, quote-unquote, ostrich bags that allowed her to lay eggs on the red carpet. The design was, over her nude body stocking, there was a dead 
swan where it kind of draped around her neck and then fell across her chest. And although it appeared on many of the worst dress lists at that time, it is iconic. There is no disputing that. We certainly remember it more than anything that was on the best dress side. Yeah, it's like her and Calista, or not Calista Flockhart, um, Lara Lara Flynn Flynn Boyle Boyle. and her, uh, I don't mean to be crass, but anorexic ballerina shtick. Those were like the two. But anyway, back to Bjork. So her dress is so iconic that in 2015, her dress was made into an exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And the Icelandic singer turned heads by show. Oh, yeah, sorry. That should have gone before, but she turned heads wearing a dead swan. <laughs> that was my last note. That was my first note that got pushed down to the bottom of my notes. <laughs> so for Best Supporting Actress, Kate Hudson was nominated for Almost Famous but lost to Marcia Gay Harden in Pollock. Best Actress, Curse Strikes Again because Julia Roberts wins for Aaron Brockovich. She thanks Benjamin Bratt in her acceptance speech, and then they split up a couple months later. Oh, yeah. You know, another well, one bites the dust, et cetera, later, et cetera. They both get married. Like, he marries, I think her name is Talisa Soto, and then she marries Danny Motor. So, like, I don't a, think it was a year later. It was very shortly really? after, yeah, because she did the Mexican with Brad Pitt, and Ooh, that's where yeah, she I met. Oh, yeah, I hate that. That's where she met Danny Motor. Okay. Why do I know this? Best screenplay went to Cameron. Aloha, Emma Stone is one for Japanese crow. <laughs> Best actor, the beard that Tom Hanks was growing out for Castaway at the 99 Oscars was nominated in 2001 but didn't win. Russell Crowe won for Gladiator. Best director is probably the most fun story. Steven Soderbergh won for Traffic, but he was also nominated for... Aaron Brockovich as well. Oh, yeah. that Both those movies came out that year. So he was drunk and very caught off guard. And unfortunately for him, it didn't come across as charmingly as Olivia Colman's speech did. But per an Academy luncheon interview that I read with him when he was promoting High Flying Bird last year, he goes on to explain, the aftermath when I walked off the stage, I can tell you right now, in parentheses, executive producer Graham King was not happy to not be thanked because if it were not for him, the film doesn't get made. Because his speech went a little something like this. There are a lot of people to thank. Rather than thank a few of them publicly, I'm going to thank them all privately. Then he goes on to say, I want to thank whoever spends part of their day creating. So he essentially dedicated the award to the creative process, I guess. Soderbergh actually thought that he wasn't ever going to win because he thought he split the vote by being nominated twice with Traffic and Aaron Brockovich, as I said earlier. And so he just ended up getting really drunk he thought Ridley Scott was going to win because he was most favorited or that it would at least go to DGA winner Ang Lee for Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon Soderbergh goes on to say I was I was going under the assumption that it was not going to be me because that was the way that it had been playing out I was going to the open bar and I was having a double vodka cranberry at every commercial break I was lit and because I knew I wasn't going to have to get up there I had nothing prepared so we got his wonderful speech in the end So Best Picture goes to Gladiator, as I said earlier, and it became the first to win Best Picture without Best Directing or Best Screenwriting win since 1949's All the King's Men. Wow. 2001 was kind of a weird year, not unlike this year's nominations, like Soderbergh having a double nom like Scarlett Johansson. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was nominated for Best Picture and Best Foreign Language, like Parasite. Joaquin Phoenix and River Phoenix became the first pair of brothers to earn acting noms in the same category, which was Best Supporting Actor, Joaquin Phoenix for Gladiator, and River Phoenix for Running on Empty. Just a quick little personal touch. This was probably the first... This was definitely, actually, 
the first Oscars that I remember being heavily invested in for whatever reason. I think it's because this was around the time that, and a perfect segue, really, this is around the time that Trevor and I started to get very into movies and movie making and trying to figure out how it all works. So I remember that we had seen a number of movies together, and I had seen almost all of these in theaters. So I had seen Crouching Tiger, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, Gladiator, Chocolat, my mom also had the screenplay inexplicably. I saw Billy Elliot and Almost Famous. Oh, and it was like the first time I, I love Billy Elliot. Such a charming movie. It didn't win anything. It might have won some below the line stuff, but none of the best actor, best director, best uh, screenplay, none of that stuff. But I remember being really invested in this Oscars that year. And now I have just a couple of fun facts with numbers of the top 50 grossing movies of the year. 49 nominations went to 15 films on the list. Only Castaway, which was third, Gladiator, fourth, Aaron Brockovich, 12th, Traffic, 31st, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, 41st, Directing, Acting, Screenwriting, and those are all Best Pictures. Other top 50 box office hits that earned nominations were Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which was the number one grossing movie that year, The Perfect Storm, 5th, Meet the Parents, 7th, The Patriot, 17th, Space Cowboys, the tw 23rd, The Emperor's New Groove, also an underrated soundtrack, 25th, U-571, which I think is a war thing. 26th, Hollow Man. That wasn't that good of a movie. 30th, 102 Dalmatians. 38th, and The Cell. 40th. Wow. And that, everybody, is the 2001 Oscars. And now we're going to gracefully segue into our segment, talking with writer and Oscar nerd Trevor Dawson. Take it away. And now we welcome... Writer, Oscar expert, and a general pain in my ass since the fifth grade, Trevor Dawson. Welcome. Hello. To I'm Hollywood. happy to be a pain in your ass all the way from Denver, Colorado. Aw, yay. Thanks for I'm calling I'm high as shit. Welcome, I, got an ice cold, I got an ice cold IPA. And we got a big beard and some glasses. Full Denver. Let's do it. All yeah, right. you're just a walking stereotype, aren't you? Did you brew this yourself? Are you climbing a rock while drinking it? Trevor's not an outdoor boy, Emily. He's more of an indoor boy. That's why he knows so much about the Oscars. <laughs> Legally, I'm not allowed on the rocks out here anymore. I can't get into it. Remember that one time those random people invited us to go snowboarding and you and I were like, uh, no, we're not snowboarding people. <laughs> well, so our episode is mostly focusing on the Oscars from 1998 to 2001 because we cover topics that are late 90s, early 2000s. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk about the current Oscar nominations. This episode is going to come out after the Oscars have aired, but it's just that Thursday. So it might be fun to see if any of our predictions have come true. Um, I know um, what Best Picture nominations have you, Best Picture nominees have you seen? And what is what are your favorites? I have seen Little Women, which was fantastic. I've Obviously. seen Parasite, which I, I think was my favorite movie of 2019. Really hope the it correct was answer. Yes. What else have I seen? Did you see 1917? No, I was supposed to this week, and it didn't happen. So maybe next week I'll go. There's. Did you end up seeing The Joker? I can't remember if you did. No, still haven't seen that either. This year I'm slacking. Like, I really haven't seen as many as I'd hoped. Oh, I have seen, oh gosh, Marriage Story I, I watched recently. I think those might be it. That's actually really horrible. I haven't seen that many this year. Usually I've seen right. everything by now. 
Well, Trevor, since you're the one that's seen probably the most Best Picture nominees, do you have any predictions based on, especially we've had Globes and SAG Awards, so I feel like those are sometimes good indicators of what's to come, but since the Globes and the Academy Awards nominees like didn't quite match up the way that people had hoped, it feels like, oh, everything's in flux, but I also feel it's like the same shit all the time, so what what do you think? Yeah, the Globes were kind of uh, kind of a wild card because like Taron Edgerton won, and I'm like, okay, well that's a really good precursor because Rami Malek won last year for essentially the same uh, deal, and Edgerton wasn't oh, right. even nominated. Yeah, um, it is kind of wild. In terms of predictions, I think you know 1917 just won at the DGAs, and that's always a good predictor. I think it'll probably come down to either that or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The really, Academy to loves- win? I think yeah, so. The Academy likes movies about sure. people who make movies. You know, yeah, if you look oh, yeah. at like the artist or Birdman, and I think it has that edge, especially if you look at this like a career capper for Tarantino. But on the other hand, 1917, like the Academy likes nominating war movies, but they don't like awarding them. I can only think of two off the top of my head, which are All Quiet on the Western Front and Platoon. And the most recent one of those is Platoon from 86. So yeah, there could be some I'm missing, but the Academy's not big on genre by and large. Well, I mean, I, I talked about this in the 99 99- Oscars that I talked about, which is Saving Private Ryan was supposed to be the Best Picture nominee. It was like a front runner since like fucking July. And then Harvey Weinstein and Miramax come in and just like literally shove it to the ground and then drop kick it. And they're like, (laughs) no, Shakespeare in love. And you're like, this movie kind of sucks. But (laughs) again, it's like, it's all about the artistic spirit. And like, that's the kind of shit that they end up rewarding a lot of the time. And I don't know if you, either of you saw this, but once Upon a Time in Hollywood took out like a full page ad in the LA Times that was just a picture of Margot Robbie standing in front of the marquee. And I think the tagline, which is truly brilliant, said something to the effect of like, remember why you fell in love with going to the movies? I'm like, oh, you fucking dick. Like, this is so playing into everybody's oh hand. I did For see sure. that. I like to think it was tongue in cheek, but I don't know. I doubt Tarantino has a big hand in the ad copy. No, I don't think he has anything to do with it. I think it's, again, like the Miramax kind of uh, structure of how you campaign. I just think, I mean, I think it's a really smart move on whatever PR marketing firm did that, but mm-hmm. it is, it's just one of those, like it's so nakedly asking for an Oscar that it's annoying to me. Oh yeah. What's interesting 100%. to me, correct me if I'm wrong. This is Tarantino's first non Miramax film. He, this was distributed by Sony. And I did see this film by the way, but I believe this is Tarantino's first non Miramax film. That sounds right, because his last one was Hateful Eight, and that was Weinstein Company. For sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. This has absolutely nothing to do with Weinstein at all. Yeah, because ever since the beginning, he was always under Miramax, and then later the Weinstein Company, um, since mm-hmm. since Reservoir Dogs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes tons of sense, and uh, Pulp Fiction was, like, the first of his movies to get nominated, and that is something that's, like, the beginning of when you start to see how – Harvey Weinstein sort of changed the way you campaign to get your movie nominated and eventually win, which is interesting. But okay, it's all well and good that like we have opinions on Best Picture, but I think what's more interesting is what do we hate that got snubbed? Because obviously the director category has zero women, even though there are lots of female-directed movies that did very well and were critically received. And again, it's like fucking Todd Phillips, who I enjoyed <laughs> The Joker, but do I think that he is worthy of an Oscar. I mean, if this goes the no, green book way, I'm going to throw yeah, myself out exactly of the window. That is exactly what I was going to say. Like last year when Peter Farrelly was nominated, it's kind of like, like Hollywood's weird way of saying like, Hey, we're woke, but we still haven't forgotten. You know, every once in a while we'll throw a bone at the, the old boys club directors who think that they've been 
uh, who are throwing a pity party because God forbid they can't make a sexist, racist joke anymore. Yeah, right. and it's interesting and it's- too. Um, sorry to interrupt. It's kind of like the flip side of what you see happening with Fairley and with Phillips, because you know these are people who made their name making super raunchy comedies, and the For second sure. they do something serious, it's like, oh, here's all that attention you need. But whereas you take someone like Adam Sandler, Eddie Murphy, yes. who have made nothing but shit movies for years. And to completely ignore them, it's like saying, you know, stay in your lane, guys. We don't want you to try anything new or daring or interesting. That is really yeah, and I think interesting. Over like former raunchy comedy dudes, I think that Sandler turned in a better performance than Todd Phillips did directing a movie that essentially was he had the gift of Joaquin Phoenix's ability to fucking commit. So I don't really know yeah. how much direction you need to give that. Oh, I was just going to say, and Eddie Murphy's performance in Dolomite um, is my name was fantastic. Oh, he was terrific. Another movie that was completely ignored. The costume designer for that won last year, and they just ignored her this time around. Ruth Carter's... It should have been was it Ruthie Carter? Yeah. Yeah. It is it is kind of ridiculous. I hesitate to call it interesting, but I read a post on the New York Post where they had talked to, and not quite anonymous Oscar ballots, which is truly my favorite thing to read every single year next to Drew Maggery's This Is Why Your Team Sucks. But they sort of, they had picked a handful of older Academy members. They didn't identify which branch. One was um, an acting branch, but they talked about the snubs and why they decided to snub certain people. And like, apparently it was directed specifically at Eddie Murphy and at Adam Sandler. Like, yeah, you did a great job and you turned in a really good performance and we all really enjoyed it. But for whatever reasons, like Eddie Murphy, they didn't like how hard he was campaigning for. Someone was rubbed the wrong way that he essentially turned his SNL hosting gig into like a Mm -hmm. campaign opportunity, which I think is absolutely fucking ridiculous like people do that all of the time why else would you go back to snl adam driver was on snl last fucking night so it's sort of critical part two (laughs) and then they specifically didn't award sandler with an oscar nomination because he joked dared to have a joke on howard stern show where he said if they don't give me an oscar nomination for this then they're gonna get five shitty comedies as a thank you that they'll have to endure which i thought was very funny like oh he gets it that we all hate these and then we actually like when he does like a punch drunk love or an uncut gems so i thought that was funny but they read that as like arrogant and like he thought he was entitled to it but another snub that i was really pissed at was Jennifer Lopez not getting a nomination for Hustlers, even for Best Supporting Actress, when we have yeah. Oh yeah. Scarlett Johansson nominated twice, which like I would love to see her flip it over on a poll and make her ass clap the way that Jennifer Lopez did. That is called commitment. <laughs> that is called being in character. <laughs> that is called she's a fucking pro. But it's the same shit with Lady Gaga where they're like, they don't believe that she's an actor. They think that she's a performer or a personality or as somebody called Jennifer Lopez, a phenomenon, which is like the backwards compliment of saying, or a backhanded compliment of saying like, oh, we don't think she's going to last, even though she's had a fucking 30 year career. So like, I don't really understand where this, it's not going to last bit comes from. So the acting so nominations, back, no, oh, go, go on. It's weird. I don't interrupt Margo. I only interrupt you. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say for the, um, for in terms you bring up hustlers, Lorraine Scuffer, I'm going to butcher her last name, but Lorraine Adam Brody's ex-girlfriend. Yes, is another person <laughs> who I think got snubbed because in the last 10 years with all the Gary Sanchez movies that, um, Farrell, Adam McKay, sorry, and Will Ferrell's production company, oh, right. they get nominated because there's Vice, there was The Big Short. Every one of these recession, um, to early 2000s, you know, kind of revisionisty history uh, movies has got have gotten nominations um, in the last decade or so. And so I was very surprised to see neither an acting nod for JLo 
nor a director nod for uh, Lauren Scafaria because I think she was, uh, you know, did a really, really great job directing um, and bringing it back and forth and using the Julia Stiles interview to frame the narrative. Like another female director, I think, who got overlooked this year for sure. Yeah, and also Hustlers is a better movie than Vice. Yeah, for sure. and I, I haven't seen Bombshell, so I can't compare those two. But I think beyond that, The Meddler is a great movie, which is – it wasn't her first – it wasn't her directorial debut, but it was something that came out a couple of years ago. And second of all, they love a story where it's like she had a small budget and she shot this whole movie in like 30 days to accommodate all these different superstar personalities so that she could get everyone in there. And it doesn't feel like something that was shot on a short budget or was turned around that quick. But you, I remember last year seeing the photos from on set, and then like three months later, the movie was out in theaters, and it was still perfect. Or at least oh, it yeah. did what it, was, it set out to do, which is get the fucking toys over the goddamn hill, as my old screenwriting teacher used to say. Yeah, I mean, not to you know go for woke points, but since we're talking about acting nominations, the lack of women of color, I think, is just insane. Like, you have oh, Aquafini, yeah. you have Jennifer Lopez, you have Peter Nyong'o. Like, Cynthia, Cynthia Erivo just barely squeaked in there. And what I'm most I, pissed about Aquafina, quite frankly. She was incredible. Oh, me too. Well. Especially after getting the Golden Globe um, acting uh, award. Like, I just, I was very, very surprised. She's fantastic. And Lulu Wang, for that matter, was an inc- another female director who was overlooked yeah. by the Academy. Um, just, I, this was such a banner year, again, for female performances and uh, female directing. And yeah, to see the Academy overlook so many good performances, especially from women of color, has just been insane. Like, Lupita Nyongo in Us was just so striking so you know just kept me on like the edge of my seat the entire movie like i i am so sad to see it not get the recognition the movie's been on hbo a lot and anytime i come across it i'm like well i guess i'm just watching this because it's just so astounding to watch her it doesn't seem like it seems like two different actresses the way she just plays that that choke face the way she uses is so scary yes She's compl- she's so unsettling. Both performances are so unsettling the whole time, but for two completely different reasons. But as half of Twitter very aptly put it, it's like they, the Academy doesn't give a shit unless they're playing a slave. And quite frankly, I'm over slave performances being the only thing that they reward because they just that's that's what they want to be seeing. And Harriet Tubman, I mean, honestly, I didn't see it, but the trailer totally reminded me of that Key and Peele sketch where it's just like the magical slave, like doing black flips. And like, it just like, that's what the trailer felt like to me. And that's the kind of shit that they fucking love to reward and them's the breaks. And so you can either be pissed or not participate or not watch, but it's always going to be this way until they start. I mean, quite frankly, some of these older Academy members start to, you know, move on into the yeah. afterlife. and we yeah. start adding new people. Cross the bridge gonna- of swords. <laughs> get over the rainbow bridge with all of your other racist asshole friends on the other side. Yeah. But, see you in Valhalla I mean, shit faces. <laughs> another interesting point from that New York post article was they were talking about how they were so pissed that they let Beyonce and they're like, she's a performer. I'm like, um, excuse me. Haven't you seen her turn with Idris Elba in not irresistible, but something like that. I mean, that was, she acted in that she was in dream girls. Like you guys can get mad all you want, but it doesn't change the fact that she happens to also sing and also act. I don't know why it's so hard. You have to be just an actor's actor in order to get any sort of recognition. And even yeah. then, you better be a white like, guy and and hope for the best. You know, in terms of Beyonce, have you ever seen a little movie called The Pink Panther 2? You know, because <laughs> I haven't. Please tell me Aust- about it. Austin Powers 3, Golden yeah. Nugget or whatever. <laughs> saw that in theaters. Did, I saw like twice in theaters. I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> you would. Yeah, shocker. 14-year-old boy likes Austin Powers movie, Story at 11. 
Uh, is there anything that you're hoping does win this year? I would love to see like I'm so surprised that Parasite has gone as far as it has. That movie's been out for like right. four months. It's crossed a hundred million dollar barrier. I've seen people posting screenshots on Twitter of them trying to get seats and it's like half sold out like four months later on like a weekday. And I think it's a magnificent movie and I like the nominations it got. I wish it got more, namely Kong Sang Ho and supporting actor, but Right. I think She's it, so good. Yeah, if that were to win um, screenplay, I think it has a really good shot. I would love to see it win director. Um, I will say, for all the Academy shortcomings, they are pretty good at giving the director award to non-white Americans. I think the last 20 years, like 12 of the winners have been uh, foreign-born. So yeah, and not many Mexicans specifically. Yeah, exactly. I'm just bemoaning the fate of Ad Astra, My, which I really oh, love. Did you like that? Yeah. I didn't see it. Fun fact oh. about that movie, my friend works for Lockheed Martin and he does media relations for them, specifically in their space division. And so he had a huge part in all of the Lockheed Martin placement throughout the movie. Cool. He was the guy helping orchestrate all that. So they did a big screening um, at Lockheed Martin's offices um, and he got to meet the director and uh, was just a part of a bunch of the press stuff, which was super cool. He uh, He had a lot of fun. That's another director I like who gets overlooked anytime he makes a great movie because he did The Lost City of Zed, which was incredible, and The Immigrant, which is incredible. But we're getting off topic so I can talk about another white guy. Maybe I'm the problem. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you bring up another white guy? I am really <laughs> bummed that Greta Gerwig didn't get nominated for Little Women. I, I know some people had problems with the way that the movie was structured, but I really appreciate it kind of like jumping all over the timeline. I, I think yeah, that it's I have no problem with that. Right? It's like, especially like, no, when the movie's been made four times at this point, you have to do yeah. something different. And no one got short shrift in that. Like, no, none of the sisters were ignored. Except for Beth, I, who just dies. <laughs> well, I, I'm just ecstatic that Florence Pugh got nominated because she had such a great year last year between yes. that and, and Midsummer and, and Fighting with My Family, which she's really she's good fantastic. in. fantastic. Talk about someone who just like showed up in 2018, 2019 and killed it. Just had an incredible year. I can't wait to continue to see stuff from her. Like this is just, you know, the beginning. I, I can't, every performance she delivers, you forget that it's her. Like she just does something to really, you know, let you be in on who this character is. Um, I can't say enough good things for her. Margo and I talk about her all the time. We're very team Pew. We oh, part yeah. of the Pew crew. We're on the Pew I, crew. That doesn't sound good, Emily. We got to workshop that one. <laughs> I was trying to come up with how we would say that. I was like, yeah, we'll go sit in the pew. I'm like, that sounds weird. I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in having – Lawrence, like a if, if you're listening, I'm not going to sit on you. I promise. <laughs> well, but we as, will be a part of the crew. As yes. Lindsay Weber said, her Amy is now canon. There is no other Amy. She is the only Amy that we acknowledge. So I thought her performance <laughs> was so good. And I think for once – I mean, I'm not saying that Timmy Champagne should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but I thought his Laurie was one of my favorite Lauries ever. Because he is kind of like a little shit in the book, and I just was glad that he was a little bit more charming, and he kind of leaned into his mm, fuckboy look a little bit to the point where you're like, all right, cool. Like when he right. – well, like when he leaves her after she rejects that Patrick's proposal, I was like, see, this is why you don't talk to fuck boys. Just leave them alone. Just stay far away. Do not chase after them. Don't stop your carriage. Listen to your fucking aunt. 
but I thought he was yeah, so good. I mean, Timothy Chalamet, um, I'm surprised as well, but uh, my stance on him is he's been so kind of meme to death because he's like the internet's new favorite soft boy or whatever. I'm 31. Mm-hmm. I don't know the terminology. But if you watch <laughs> that movie or Call Me By Your Name or Lady Bird or even Interstellar in which he has a really small part, he's just so captivating to watch. Like he's got such mm-hmm. a deep emotional reservoir and he's 22 years old. Like the new class, I think, of these actors like him and Florence Pugh and Saoirse Ronan. I, I just do an incredible stellar work. And it's weird that Saoirse Ronan feels like she's been around forever and she's 25. That's kind right? of I know. I'm like, how long have I been watching yeah, you? But rate, since Atonement, which was like 10 atonement, years ago yeah. at this point. It's like a decade ago, right? At least. Yeah, Atonement right? was 07. So she's been oh, around yeah. for a while. I mean, she was uh, granted a baby in Atonement. But do you think she'll finally win? Because she's been nominated four times now. And I thought she was definitely going to win for Brooklyn. Yeah, I think which this I is her fourth. It's Brooklyn, yeah, yeah Atoman, Brooklyn, um, Lady Bird, and this, right? Yeah. Okay. I loved Brooklyn, too. Actually, I really liked all those movies she's been in. I have not gotten around to Brooklyn yet. It was the, one, really that, like it was it. the one from that year I didn't see. I think that'd be It was surprising it. that it was nominated in my opinion, but um I, I liked it. It was a it was a pretty good movie. It's a good I would say it's a good it's a it's a good plane plus movie. Like I would watch it gladly on the plane. <laughs> plane uh, plus so like plus, other yeah. in other instances as well as a plane. Plane premium. <laughs> plane economy premium. <laughs> <laughs> Extended leg room. <laughs> That's what you want. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think the actress category is just super fucking weird this year. Maybe she'll walk away with the trophy since Jennifer Lawrence hasn't been nominated in quite some time. So it kind of frees up other people to win awards. Yeah. The best actress category I think is always weird because that's one where they always like to, I won't say always because it's not an ironclad rule, but they tend to award like the younger, the ingenue, you know, your Emma Stones, your Jennifer Lawrence's. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could see Sersha. She's definitely put in the work and she really is terrific in Little Women. You know, this might be a basic opinion, but I really love Scarlett Johansson in a marriage story. That was really like on a whole nother, it was a whole nother caliber of acting that I saw from her. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if she won, but I don't know. I, if I were to bet on someone, I would bet on Sersha because I think if nothing else, we're looking at an all white group of winners. Yeah, this is true. What a stark comparison from last year, which will be reminded of that fact when last year's winners go up to present to this year's winners. So that'll be oh, an God. interesting change. Yeah. Could you imagine oh. just like taking your award from Regina King and being like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Supporting actor though is a category the Academy mostly gets right. And it's pretty stacked this year. I'm pretty happy with it. I haven't Who's seen the two in there. Uh, Brad Pitt, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, right. And, um, oh, right. Shit, who's the last guy? Uh, two Jonathan Popes, right? Price? Two Popes. No, Jonathan Price is in lead. Um, oh, he is in Tom lead. Hanks, okay. Tom Hanks, Tom um, Hanks. Oh, yeah, Oh, right. I'm actually yeah. so upset Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood didn't get more awards. I love Marielle Heller. I feel like yeah. she has so. not gotten respect or the recognition that she deserves. I Was she nominated for Best Director last year for Can You Ever Forgive Me, which was one of my favorite movies last year? That was a great movie. That I think she got fantastic. a screenplay nod for that. Yeah, but that's not the same as directing, which she really, no. I mean, she can pull out some performances from people that you've never fucking seen like before. Like Melissa, Melissa McCarthy was just flawless in that movie. Just such a perfect, perfect portrayal. Um, yeah, no, I, again, again <laughs> I feel like every couple of minutes we bring up another one of the many female directors that should have been nominated this year. I think you could pretty easily sub out the entire director list for all women. You know, you got Greta Gerwig, Mariel Heller, Lulu Wang, um, Lorraine Scafaria, and 
Who else? Joanna Hogg. The souvenir was real good. Totally ignored. Oh, I, I would. You I, know, I don't think that I one even came up on my radar, unfortunately for me. And maybe not for Oscar, but for a Golden Globe, I would have liked to have seen Olivia Wilde for Booksmart, just because that was oh, fantastic. Yeah. And Beanie Beanie Feldstein was nominated this year for for Best Actress. That um, I think for musical comedy. Since we're on the topic of Globes and Best Supporting Actor, though, I do love that Joe Pesci's like, "Fuck you guys, just use my headshot. I'm not coming." <laughs> I don't think he'll be going to the Oscars either. And unfortunately for us, we gain a Colin fucking Jost this year too. Thanks to Scarlett Johansson's, Johansson's terrible taste in men. It's a fucking tragedy that this dude's going to the Oscars before any of us. Fucking bullshit. <laughs> I would love to see Brad Pitt win. Cause he's really great in that movie. And he is, he was been, a highlight. I wanted I feel, to get, I want to know his character more than I gave a shit about Leonardo DiCaprio's character, to be honest. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, Brad Pitt, I think, has been underrated as an actor for a long time. Someone I lump in there with like Matt Damon, and then he gets ignored a lot. Like I would have nominated Brad Pitt for Burn After Reading. He's fantastic. Oh, he was that. so good in that. He's terrific. Um, but I would not be upset if Joe Pesci won. It's neither, his performance but I doubt is so. It. I don't know. Like it's such. It's so antithetical to everything else he's ever done. Like it's like a corrective <laughs> to every other Joe Pesci performance. It's pretty magnificent. Well, he's but, just I mean, upset that a little kid won't be friends with him the whole time. Oh God, it's so sad. What a sad movie. Let's get off the topic. <laughs> it's, it makes me feel bad. <laughs> God, we don't need to talk about the Irishman. I feel like everybody else has talked about it enough, so we don't need to. Movie I've look, paused I'm the a, most. I, that's the record it holds in my heart. The movie I've paused the most. Look, I'm a straight white guy on a podcast about movies, and my voice is not being heard about a Scorsese film. <laughs> I need at least 20 more minutes. He doesn't get his due. (laughs) We're going to segue smoothly from the Irishman backwards into Wolf of Wall Street and then into The Departed because obviously we need to revisit these topics. Um, Excuse me, Margo. It's The Departed. It is not just The Departed. Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Departed. (laughs) Fucking rat. Nope. 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 I'm going to move away quickly (laughs) and actually take a swerve into a slightly more depressing topic since Emily in her recap of the years of the Oscars that she talked about. She talked about some in memoriams. And this year, I think we have a late ad to the in memoriam, not to cheapen or make it any sadder, but it is on my mind because as a LA native and lifelong Lakers fan, Kobe Bryant tragically died this morning and he just won an Oscar last year. So it's kind of hard not to bring up the topic, but he's definitely going to have um, a presence. I think this year in the Oscars, because I know that Absolutely. he was trying to make a pivot into making movies. And after he retired from the Lakers, he went on Bryant Gumbel's sports talk show, which I know that's not what it's called, but that's what I'm calling it right now. And he talked about how he started this new studio and how he wanted to get into making movies and how movies have always influenced him. And I just Wait, felt I did not felt know that Kobe Bryant died until just now. Sorry. I'm oh, just God. this. <laughs> Yeah, Holy well, you should shit. feel so lucky to not be so extremely online to the point where, like, it ruins your ability to form a real thought <laughs> that's not influenced by the internet. But yeah, yeah but- I, it's super tragic and so upsetting and shocking, really. Yeah, and it's weird too because I never, I never cared about sports in general. Uh, what? That's why I'm here talking Oscars. Um, but you know, it's a lifelong—not lifelong, but it's a native Angelino. Like, it's not something you can ignore. It does feel like. You know, a tiny little piece of the city was just erased. Uh, yeah. Not to be maudlin about it, but it's just weird. And maybe your entire life growing up, you're not going to hear anything but in the past tense now. Yeah, I know. And he really changed. I mean, he was like a part of LA and he changed the Lakers 
into the franchise legacy team that they are now. And it's just insane, especially, I mean, I know this means nothing to the two of you, but last night LeBron passed him in scoring points, which is interesting. I mean, I'm not saying that he's like, I did actually read that. (laughs) And I do know who LeBron is. Okay, great. I'm so glad that we're all on the same page. (laughs) Um, So it was just interesting that there was like sort of already a tribute to him last night. And now it's a much sadder tribute. And I, I didn't watch his movie on basketball, but I do find it interesting that he's kind of a part of the Academy Awards now forever too. Yeah, that is very interesting. And I know, um, no, never mind. That was going to be off topic and let's no, move past it. We can always <laughs> cut it out. Oh, well, I know that um, the Obamas have uh, gotten into producing films too. And oh, yeah. people, people with their status and their capital and their name recognition, if they want to tell these stories and uplift black voices and black community, it sucks that we just lost someone who had the potential to do that for a lot of talented artists. That's an excellent point. Um, and the Obamas are also going to be a part of Netflix, which I know that Netflix is trying to win some awards to build up their cachet as well. So it's another, mm-hmm. it's all connected. It goes straight to the top. Just like <laughs> Captain Kill told me. We're through the looking glass here. <laughs> it all goes back to Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Illuminati. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Loose change. 9-11 was an inside job. Now we've got all of that out of our system. Thank you, um, Alex Jones. <laughs> I'm not nearly sweaty enough to be compared to Alex Jones. Oh, my shirt's been out this whole time. Can I start talking about my brain pills now? <laughs> when do we read for stamps.com? Um, so but Trevor is, at least to me, known to just have a wealth of useless Oscar knowledge to the point where you can ask him, what's the best picture winner from 1978? Uh, 78, that was uh, The Deer Hunter. See? Yeah, he'll just Uh. rattle this off. Uh, He also has a really impressive skill of doing six degrees of separation, much to his chagrin once I asked him to do uh, six degrees from Buster Keaton to Misha Barton, and he successfully did it. I won't ask you to do it again. Don't fucking worry. I just think it's funny. (laughs) <laughs> Emily, do you have any trivia questions you want to rattle off to Trevor? I'm thinking. Um, yeah, okay. So who was the best supporting actress winner in 1965? Oh, Christ. Um, God. I don't know. This is starting off on a bum note. We're going to take this out and post. <laughs> best supporting actress. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I'm trying to work backwards from uh, the winner, which is Sound of Music. But uh, I'm not... The, and it was the acting category was a lot harder to memorize. I think she won for lead, but I, uh, I don't know who won for supporting. All right. Pretend I got that one right. Okay. Was, just, uh, edit, well, just edit my voice together. Yeah, we'll fix it in post. It was Leela Kedrova, by the way, for Zorba the it? Greek. Leela Kedrova for Zorba okay, the yeah, Greek. I, um, but I, I guess for simplicity's sake, for... we should try and stick with like the years that we talked about. Just oh, to like, sure. make it easier. <laughs> I just said 78 just to be a dickhead to Trevor. So. <laughs> I just wanted to well, I'm just to glad test, you asked me a you question know? I knew the answer to. And I was like, okay, everyone knows the exact same thing. It's like, who in costume is on at 51? I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> okay. Oh, um, so, I mean, so you're good at best picture, but who won best director in 2000? 2000? Um, oh, that was uh, Ang Lee. Uh, for, for which movie? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Our um, first non-American director winner of the century. And also like a great comparison to Parasite now because Crouching Tiger was nominated for Best Foreign Film and Best Picture that year. So I find that yeah. to be interesting because it's the same deal with Parasite. And even though Crouching Tiger didn't win Best Picture, it won Best Foreign, right? Yeah, I think it kind of hamstrings uh, Parasite Chance to win a Best Picture because mm-hmm. the same thing happens um, a couple years now. Like they did it with Up and Toy Story 3. They'll nominate it for Best Animated and Best Picture. And it's like you don't have to fill up 10 slots just because you gave yourself room to. Like when you see an animated feature in there, you just know it's going to win animated. So it doesn't have the same, I feel, impact as like, say, 1992, Beauty and the Beast is nominated for Best Picture. And that's back when they only had five nominees. So it was like a much bigger deal back then. They also didn't have the animation category in 1992 either. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 2000 was the first year or is it 2001? I think it was a one. And I remember that because Shrek beat Monsters, Inc. uh, Which, you know, really is a decision that holds up today. Shrek isn't dated at all. No, of course not. Of course not. Just like Smash Mouth is a timeless band that I will be teaching my grandchildren about. <laughs> Guys, they we're ignoring the, the best Beatles. best picture, which is traffic. Everybody loves traffic. Everybody knows that. Everybody quotes traffic all the time. I'm so tired of these traffic quotes. <laughs> yeah, all those uh, traffic cones, the, cl- the club is called. <laughs> that That's movie almost as bad rules. as pew heads. I mean, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's much, much worse. <laughs> 2000 is an interesting year because um, Traffic and Aaron Brockovich were both up for Best Picture. Those are both Soderbergh movies. But he was also double nominated for Best Director, so he was competing against himself for that. And I don't think that's ever happened before or since. I I don't think so either. And kind of to go back to your point about like hamstringing the votes, because I had to do research for the 2000 Oscars or 2001. I don't know, whatever year he was nominated twice. He basically thought that he split his own vote. So he's like, oh, I'm not going to win. So I'm just going to waste at the bar. <laughs> So he gets drunk and then wins. And so he has to go up there and he's like, uh, uh, I want to thank the creative spirit. Okay, bye. And then immediately got yelled at by producers, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> God, Soderbergh, not to use this term because it's it's pretty douchey, but he's one of the last like real mavericks, I think, in Hollywood. Like doing like avant-garde Robert Altman shit. Just like, oh, I think I'll go ahead and do this. Like High Flying Bird and The Laundromat are so diametrically different movies. And he was supposed to retire, what, like five movies and two oh TV God. series Oh, my God. And then ago? he's like, oh, I'm just going to do The Nick, uh, which should be yeah. nominated for an Oscar, as well as Succession should be nominated for Oscars. Do not at me on this. I am correct. But, yeah, he's been threatening to retire for years now, but he keeps putting out just one more, just one more. He's like me trying to leave a party. I'm just like, I'm going to have one more drink, and then I'm wasted. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'll just shoot one more movie on an iPhone. I'm just going to do one more miniseries. I'm just going to re-edit one old classic Hollywood movie. Like, look, I'm just going to take all the sound out of Raiders, put in black and white, overdub it with the social network soundtrack, and put it on my <laughs> website so you can see how well it's staged and blocked, which is something you can watch on his website. It's actually pretty sweet. Okay, so that's what that was because I had seen stills of that. I'm like, what's happening? Are we re-releasing the social network? What are we talking about right now? I was like, I refuse to look into it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Emily, do you have any other trivia questions for Trevor? Sure. Uh, I'm going to go with um, 1998 Best Actor, Best Actress. Okay. Uh, actor, was that Roberto Benigni, I think, for Life is Beautiful? And no, that's actor. 99, bitch. Yeah. No, because 99 – well, okay. Let me clarify. When I say the year, I'm thinking of the year the movie came out, not the year the oh, yeah, ceremony. Oh, yeah, Oscar. Sorry. So got the it, got Oscar it, got it. year is 1998, so the movies would have been in 1997. Copy that. Okay. Oh, that's actually harder. 98, I knew right off the top of my head. Paltrow and Benini. Um, 97. Hold on. Let me think. What was the best picture of the year? Can I give you a hint? 
Once Holy crap, how my drums Don't help blank. him, Emily. Let him struggle. <laughs> okay. No, okay. no, please. Margo loves us. The dead air is great. <laughs> <laughs> I love nothing but dead air. <laughs> Again, this is getting oh, edited well, out in post. Okay, no, it doesn't help. I'm like, well, what one best picture? Titanic. Okay, no one won for that. That doesn't help me. Ah, once again, how are you doing this to me, Emily? I'm, all right, go. Just tell me. So it was uh, the last me. movie where we've had both the actor and actress from the same movie win. So it was Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt for As Good As It Gets. Oh, As Good As It Gets. God you know that classic film that. you revisit every year, As Good As It Gets? <laughs> okay. Francois Bajan. <laughs> Emily's dad's favorite movie so from 1997 much. to 2001. <laughs> 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 I should have known that. Uh, All right. Well, since we stumped you enough times, do you? Yes. We'll, we'll move on. Do you have any um, movies that you're looking forward to that are coming out this year that you think, just based on premise alone, would get Oscar nom or at least Oscar buzz? I'm paying attention to a lot of stuff coming out of Sundance, but a lot of that ends up being indie stuff or that goes on to like right into a streaming service. Exactly. Kinda, There's so much stuff that you get excited about when you read news from Sundance, and you're like, "Oh my god, I can't wait to see this!" and it never shows up. Yeah, then it just dies in the crib. I'm having but trouble thinking of um, what Honey Boy um, was out in Sundance last year, and that did pr- that went kind of far this year, further than I think oh, yeah. I thought it would go. I, it, yeah. I hadn't gone around to seeing it, but I've heard that it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I had no real interest in it. Uh, you know, I support indie cinema, but I don't support Shia, Shia LaBeouf. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Like, I'm not one. That's another female really... director, and it was her debut as a director. Yeah. So that's worth something. Well, she won the DGA for it. So if nothing else, that's a vote of confidence. Well, that's good. She'll probably make more stuff then. I mean, I think winning awards, at least, especially when you're a woman, can guarantee your next movie. So that's positive. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I can't remember the name of it because this is going to make me sound like a very basic white guy, but Marvel has some movies coming out, but they've they've tapped some interesting directors like Ava DuVernay is doing one, I believe, and Chloe Zhao. Oh, yeah. um, directed the writer which just tore my heart out uh she's doing another one so i'll keep my eye out for those you know that's embedded enough in my lizard brain that i'll always go to see a marvel movie and just sort of like clap and drool at the screen you know i I typically have a good time with them um but if you know 20 something movies in if they can actually start letting creators express something of a vision uh, which is a gambit they did with thor ragnarok which paid off then i think they could actually have something to say for themselves in terms of being art I don't know. I have kind of like a mixed, I have mixed emotions about Marvel just because they are owned by Disney. And I feel like Disney can't get out of their own way sometimes. Sometimes they do a great job. Like they'll do the Mandalorian or like you said, they'll take a gamble on like Taika Waititi and let him do what he's good at doing. But other times they'll like do, they'll pull a last Jedi or what's the most recent Star Wars one called that looked Uh, terrible. they They give somebody like Colin Trevorrow who, did do the book of Henry, which was a categorically fucking terrible movie. <laughs> hilarious and insane and made no fucking sense. And if you ever want to read a perfect review of it, Dave Holmes wrote it up for Esquire or GQ or GQ. I forget. But if you put in book of Henry plus Dave Holmes, you are in for a fucking treat. It's so fucking funny. He just loses his mind throughout the review, but they took it away from Colin Trevorrow as soon as that movie flopped hard. Yeah. But which, if you, you know, let him I, do that's a kind of personally. Out. Cause because he has the name Trevor in his name, so that's very important so to me. Obviously, we all know Trevors have to support Trevors, even if they're. We Trevor really Rose. do. God, there's so few of us that don't suck, and I, I got blinders on. I'm convincing myself I'm not one of them, but it's like Adam Scott's character on The Good Place. I'm like, of course his name's Trevor, and he's a jerk demon. Like, there's no good hey, Trevors. Not in- all Trevors. 
<laughs> That's something that Turo yeah. would like us to remember. Yes, please get that trending. Actually, as far as I've been concerned, it is all Trevor's. I've never met another cool one. <laughs> hashtag just this Trevor is cool. Exactly, yeah. Hashtag, hashtag just one Trevor. Well, is there anything else Oscar-related that we should talk about? I feel like we've exhausted the topic. Yeah, um, I would be really excited to see Joker win best score. I'm going to butcher her name because I think it's Icelandic. But Hildur Gildendotter, I'm probably I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Um, but obviously, she's a woman, and I just think it's really funny that Joker and comic book movies in general are impressed by such a, or embraced by such a toxic fan base that has such backwards views on women that it would just be really funny to be to see how they would all react to that. And that, notwithstanding, it is a terrific score. It is. I think the score for Joker and the score for Uncut Gems were, were very good and did a lot of atmospheric building yeah. that I feel like only super talented composers can like come up with that really like infuse every situation where like it feels like it's part of the scene. Like it's just like a, something that's naturally occurring. Around yeah. It feels like almost diegetic. It's, it's, exactly. it's really well done. Yeah. I, and I was glad that she won a golden globe. It was nice to see a woman up there. That's not best actress. Not like there's anything wrong with being a best actress, but it was <laughs> nice to see a woman in like a technical category win something. Yeah. Well, I mean, all these categories are such boys clubs. Like what was it? Rachel Morrison, um, Morrison, yeah. She was nominated for Shooting Mudbound, and right. that was the first woman to ever get nominated for cinematography, which I think is ridiculous. I mean, that's as somebody insane. who loves Roger Deakins, it's still insane that that's the stat that we have currently, which yeah. he's definitely going to win for 1917, right? Like, that's that's what's happening. Yeah. He's done it so, again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Roger's walking away with it, which is fine with me because Roger's a legend. Um, but I would just like to see he more win representation. Beard. Well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> Doesn't hurt. <laughs> well, right, thanks well, for coming on and talking Oscar shop with us and letting Thank us you for having out. me. I'll be on any time uh talk about whatever. The least the less informed I am about it, the better. Just <laughs> walk in here dick first with a white man's confidence and just let her rip. <laughs> yes, I know that you so will just be just every day in a normal world. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. I do a lot the of mansplaining. Also racked by anxiety, so he'll definitely be mulling this over until it comes out. So <laughs> at least we have that. He might come across as oh, absolutely, and then I won't listen to it because I can't stand the sound of my own voice. This is such a great, great pairing. I'm so glad that you are never going to listen to this episode. <laughs> All right, great. So just disappear into the void. Perfect. Um, I know that you write for a couple online outlets as you are a very talented writer. Would you like to plug yourself here, even though it sounds kind of cringy? Uh, sure. Yes. I write uh, for gambitmag.com. I've been reaching out to some other outlets for just for one-off pieces and I'll try to make those noticeable. And I will say, uh, listen to old millennials and vote for Bernie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I like being in that same sentence. Um, are you doing any Oscar coverage for Gambit? I probably will. Okay. Well, I'm just concerned. My main focus right now is seeing the rest of the nominated movies. I'm going to see 1917 in about an hour. Oh, okay, great. Well, then we will let you go. Thanks again, Trevor. And you are welcome back anytime. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to our episode on the Oscars from 1998 to 2001 with our very special friend of the pod guest, Trevor Dawson. We hope you enjoyed it. You can always subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you also rate and review us. It helps other people find us. 
we also da, 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 have a medium page. Yay. You can follow the Old Millennials Pod on Medium. We will be writing supporting blog posts. <laughs> we are blogging. It's happening. It's will happening. it be as good as the TIG? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But it'll at least be something about the episode that we just talked about. So head over there now and read stuff about Y2K, which Emily wrote last week, which I forgot to promote and plug at the end of the episode. And there will be an award show post that I will be putting up It should be there, and if it's not, it'll be there shortly. I don't know. This is recorded ahead of time. You can also follow us on Instagram. We're at The Old Millennials Pod. We're also on Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. You can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Marg Wrote, And I'm at Emily A. Bijan. And until next week, we bid you a bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Allison. And we want to talk to you about our podcast, The Bloom Saloon. It's a GD Bloom book club. We actually read each book one by one and discuss every chapter in minute detail. Yeah, so you don't have to read along. Or you can. That's fun, too. We do dramatic readings, which I think is the most fun. We get really into the characters that Judy's created for us. Jody, what's been your favorite book that we've read so far? Tiger Eyes. What about you? Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret? Is a classic, and we Iconic. were just so taken with that book when we read it. We've done Dini, Wifey, Blubber. Then again, maybe I won't. A non Judy book, Domestic Arrangements. Shout out Norma Klein. Otherwise known as Sheila the Great. Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Forever. Who could forget Ralph? I'd love to forget Ralph. <laughs> It's not for kids. We record every episode in The The Bloom Bloom Cocoon. A cozy embrace. A magical space. For friends like you. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.